have you ever taken a few steps forward with getting your toddler to sleep and then you have to go like five steps back and you have to go through a sleep regression? Have you had to handle a full-blown super meltdown at a table with people who aren't your family? We're going to talk about all that with Yumi Steins and Justin Colson today on Dad Pod. Hello and welcome to Dad Pod. I'm Washi Gensberg. Charlie Clawson is on holidays with his family in Europe at the moment, which is bloody great. Go out there, Charlie. Go and get it done. Go and you do you, boo. You send beautiful Instagram photos of you hanging out in Portugal with your family. Not uh, the jealous at all, Charles. Honestly, not at all. Not a bit. Uh, um, yeah, Charlie will be back very, very soon. Uh, and he's had taking a very well-deserved break after a couple of years of not being allowed to leave the country. I think him and uh, Jam are really enjoying the uh, the catapult around the sun. And nod to you if you get that Star Trek reference from a long time ago. Uh, I'm Washington Ginsburg. This is Dad Pod. This is a podcast by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads. And we've been at this for a little while now. And so, so grateful to tell you that we've been nominated for an Australian Podcast Award for Best Parenting Podcast. Amazing to celebrate. And also because Charlie's uh, not here today, we are going to uh, go back and have a listen to a time when we spoke to uh, Yumi Steins, fellow mum dad. And, uh, you know, then later on, we're going to speak with a uh, parenting expert and fellow Australian Podcast Awards nominee for Best Parenting Podcast, Justin Coulson. We're going to get him on the show. I don't know how it works. Like, do we show up to the awards ceremony? Do we have to fight him and Maggie Dent out by the garbage bins? I don't know how it works, but it's going to be a fun night anyway. We were talking to Yumi about a time when Wolfgang was going through a sleep regression. Wolfgang's my son, Iona, is Charlie's daughter. Audrey and I have another child. Uh, however, she's nearly 19, so we don't talk about her too much on this show, but we do occasionally. So Wolfgang was going through a bit of a sleep regression, and we asked Yumi Steins, who is a broadcaster, an author, and a mum of four, if she'd had that with any of her kids. You're just like, uh, can I take it back to the hospital now? Do I get a refund? <laughs> Which one's gone? <laughs> do they give receipts with babies these days? Like, um... <laughs> So what I, I mean, I'm sure you're across the science of it, but what I figured was that um, they're waking up because they're hungry. So what can I do to make them more full for every sort of ounce that they eat? So I think that's when we started making for Mercy, my third child, we started blending like roast lamb in the blender and putting it to her with her milk. I don't know. What, whatever it takes, I reckon, Yumi. So the waking is caused because they're just wanting to grow, so they just want calories? Yeah, they, they're hungry and their stomachs are emptying out faster. So they're like, damn it, I'm starving. You guys, feed me. Are you saying you made lamb smoothies, essentially? Essentially, yes, Charlie. That is exactly what we did. Uh, she she doesn't actually eat lamb ever now. <laughs> I don't know if the two things are related. But yeah, so, so I think it was the emphasis is on a heavier protein going right. in. So maybe it's time to start putting a bit of solid into that last meal of the night. A bit of tofu, a bit of avocado or something. He's got he's onto the pears and the zucchinis at the moment with a bit of farrex oh, happening. Yeah. But if, are yeah. you saying we do that solid feed later in the evening, so kind of closer to bedtime? Yeah, and then also if you can build up a little bit of extra hunger before that last feed or the one that you want to be the last feed. So let's say the 10 p.m. one, 
So he's hungry it out and just say, you know what, write it out, Wolfie. <laughs> and then he'll be super sang. He'll be up for trying new foods. He'll eat some protein. So, so tofu is good because it is so protein and it is so soft and custard-like. It goes down pretty easy. And then, yeah, maybe that's going to be the thing that helps him sleep. Or maybe you're just going to have to you know, suck eggs for a few months while he goes through this phase. I don't know. I mean, if you look at the size of Wolfie, I mean, he's a big boy. I think like a brontosaurus steak or something yeah. <laughs> might be what you need to settle him at night. We're going to need a bigger blender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, feeding a hungry baby is pretty simple, but once the child has learned and mastered the word no, uh, things can get pretty tricky. It's a control thing, you know. It's important to understand that, but it doesn't mean it's not frustrating. And boy, Wolfie has, at one point, he was just in full food refusal, just saying no to anything food related. And Charlie and I asked pediatric dietitian, Dr. Karina Savage, if she could offer any help. So you are entering into prime peak fussy eating age where they have a say in what they want to eat and you know we have to respect that to a certain degree we also have to remember that their tummies are little and they have probably five to six opportunities to eat every day and they have a really innate ability to self-regulate their appetite and listen to their bodies far better than we do as adults and they really eat to what they need and so especially if they're at child care and they have you know two or three remember when my son went he'd have sometimes two or three ticks next to lunch and if they fill up the front part of the day then we can't expect them to eat a huge amount at the back end of the day or vice versa but Sometimes we, our expectations of what they, in terms of the variety or the volume of what they should be eating is up here, but they're actually here in terms of their either readiness to try new food or how hungry they are. I mean, they may need to do a poo, they may be tired by the end of the day. So I think looking at the bigger picture, looking at a nutritionally balanced week rather than a nutritionally balanced day, so to speak, and I guess kind of look at what he may have already eaten that day and try to sort of balance it out a little bit. But I wouldn't get too stressed if he didn't want one particular meal because he's got plenty of opportunities to eat throughout the day. And snacks can contribute up to 50% of their nutrition. So mm. if he wasn't hungry and he had a whole lot to eat that day, you might just give him some raw veggies and a bit of spiral pasta and a tiny bit of meat that you might be eating or it might just be a simple, you know, egg sandwich or it might, you know, something small, something that's not too overwhelming for him because um, I think it's something to be mindful of that they do have all of these opportunities to eat and they, they are pretty good listening to their appetite. As long as they're growing well, um, yeah, often we're expecting them to eat when they don't necessarily want to eat much. Right. I, I, on the subject of eating habits, Karina, like uh, one thing I've noticed with Iona and my wife and I have been work, trying to work out is this something that we should be like okay with or should be changing her eating habits is she feels like she's a real grazer. So, I mean, obviously she, like yeah. you say, there's the five to six snacks, but then when we sort of sit down to have a main meal, like a lunch or a, or a dinner, she tends to sort of like eat around the edges. But if you leave the meal out for long enough, she'll get through the majority of it. She just doesn't eat in one go. She kind of like likes to have a chat. Maybe she'll take a break from the table and she'll come back. Is that something that is okay or should we be sort of like maybe steering her more towards no no we're sitting now we consume the food then you can go play afterwards preferably yes and right. preferably you have a break in between main meals and snacks so they kind of have a good couple of hours in between um, meals and snacks and it's like right now I mean it's time to sit down sweet and you you know you have really good quality family engagement and 
is really ideal if the child can eat with at least one parent. Um, for that, parental role modelling is crucial and certainly helps in terms of expanding their intake long-term plants, so seeds when they see their, especially fathers, have even more of an uh, influence over the child's eating behaviours long-term. Their role modelling is really powerful. So I think oh, yeah. eating with her saying, this is time to eat, and then um, I thought you might like to see that. Yeah. <laughs> this is time to eat and then later we can go and play. And I would probably give her a good, I think we usually say cabinet maximum 30 minutes, but some kids don't even last seven minutes at the table. So yeah. I would certainly say this is the time to eat and make it fun. You know, um, you can do like a pop quiz or, you know, what's a two animals starting with the letter D or give me a, you know, a yellow animal or something like that. So you kind of just have that fun kind of engagement whilst she's also eating. But once she leaves the table, then that's she's moved on to the next stage. And then after that, if she still wants to eat, really, we should say, well, no, now let's just wait till the, the next meal okay. or snack. If you're still eating okay. at the table and she wants to come back for one go, then, you know, obviously we can say this is best practice and then, then obviously what happens in real life because, I mean, I've got kids and fussy eaters as well. So. But ideally the, the plan is, you know, we eat, we finish, and then later you can have some dessert or supper or whatever, um, independent of how much you eat at dinner, I should say. Okay. But let's have a good go at dinner and then it's done and then we move on. It is hard to have a conversation about kids and food without covering treats. You know, you don't want them to not have treats. You don't want them to have treats all the time. So we spoke with developmental and behavioral pediatrician, Dr. Anthea Rhodes, all about the sweet, sticky, melty, crummy bane of every parent's existence. I took my, my daughter, who's two and a half, uh, to a movie night at her cousin's primary school last week. And uh, ordinarily, my wife and I were pretty good with serving a healthy food and, and we limit treats, but we walked in and it was a, a smorgasbord of uh, future diabetes <laughs> treats. It was just chocolate and icy poles and sugar and stuff. And so I'm a responsible dad, but I'm a cool dad. You know, I don't want my daughter to miss out when she sees all these kids grabbing ice creams and chocolates. And you want to be cool. You want to be cool. I want to be cool. I don't, you know, I want to, I wanted to, you know, when she's a teenager to say, Hey, you can, you can come around to my place. My dad's cool. But the snacks on offer, they just kept coming because we were visiting family and there were so many people excited to see her that like everyone who came over would bring a Fredo frog, an icy pole. And so I found myself sort of in this position of like, if I turn it away or, you know, create a scene around this, then it's just going to create more of a drama. So I chickened out. I just acquiesced. I'm like, okay, today is a write-off. Like you're going to, this is your first night at the movies. You're going to eat whatever you want. Did I cave in or is it just occasionally you've just got to go with the flow? Well, look, Charlie, I'm feeling anxious just hearing about it. I, in fact, when you said you took a two-and-a-half-year-old to the movies, I was already sort of in a cold sweat. So that, that in and of itself is a challenge, let alone dealing with the food. And you're absolutely right. These situations are sort of like, you know, social environments where food is part of the ritual. And so having the snacks, and particularly from family, offering up the snacks and the treats is kind of part of the journey. And I think what you've done there is tapped into the sort of really important parent mantra, there's many of them, but of of the sometimes foods. So it's okay, it's absolutely okay to have these things, these treats in moderation sometimes. And it's about recognising, you know, when is the situation where you're going to make the call that, as you say, you roll over and go, it's on, okay, it, mm. it's all happening today. And it, as long as it's not too often, then it's absolutely fine. 
The tricky thing is that sometimes then, you know, kids get a taste for something and you think, look out, now that he's licked the chocolate every five (laughs) minutes, we're going to be wanting a chocolate. So it's about what you do from there and setting up those boundaries to say, you know what, that was a sometimes food. We all have treats. Mum and dad have treats as well, but we can't do it every day. But I think had you taken on the battle and sort of tried to be that parent that says no to everything, and look, some parents do choose that. Everyone makes their own decisions about how they're going to navigate these things it's not about what's right or wrong but that definitely would have been a harder journey and what you might have set yourself up for is actually ultimately failing in that you'd said no we're not having any of this and then halfway through you've gone you know what it's I give up and in fact then what you're teaching your toddler is that whatever you say doesn't really count and that you're going to be a pushover next time too. When people give our kids or our toddlers something the labeling's kind of hard to understand at the best of times. What are some numbers on the back that we should look out for and go, ah, maybe not today? Yeah, great advice. So, and you flagged something else there, Osha, where some kids and, and yourself, as you've mentioned, might have an actual food allergy or intolerance. And that's going to be a different situation again, where you really do have to be careful as a parent around other people's kids about what sort of foods you offer them, because it's not always safe or okay. But getting back to your own kids, if you are trying to think a little bit about how do I make a healthier choice? So, There is information. It's really, really hard to read actually and decipher on the back of a packet. That's deliberate. Companies out Mm. there are trying to make it confusing for you. So what you look at instead is the picture of, you know, a pea or a piece of broccoli on the front of the packet and go, brilliant, that looks healthy. It's got green on it. I'm going for that. (laughs) But in fact, when you turn it over and have a look at the back, there's a couple of things that can help you. One is the ingredient list. So that's where there's actually names of types of food products listed in a row usually with a percentage next to them. The thing that has to happen legally is that the the most common part of that product has to come first. So, for example, if you're buying something that says it's peas, broccoli and apple and the first thing on it is apple, then actually most of that product is probably apple, not peas or broccoli. Or perhaps more concerningly, you might buy something that says lasagna and the first thing on the list for that might also be apple. And you're thinking, hmm, little bit of <laughs> apple maybe in the lasagna, but if 90% of that lasagna is apple, what you're really buying is apple. And apple is essentially a sneaky way to get a lot of sugar into a product in a natural way. So have a look at that list and whatever's on number one and possibly number two is really what you're buying. And if it doesn't line up with what you think it is, then maybe give it a miss. The other thing is about the information panel, which I'll tell you a bit more about. The nutrition information panel is that little box that's got things lined up in a row and usually measures in grams. So top tip, have a look at sugars because that's really where the harmful stuff is. There's lots of things that you maybe don't want in food, but we can't solve everything. If you're going to look at one thing, look at sugars and look at the number of grams. And remember that about four grams is a teaspoon. So you need to do a little bit of maths. That can be hard in the supermarket aisle with a toddler hanging off your leg, but maybe do it at home later. Buy whatever you buy, hang on to the packet, have a bit of a look at it at the end of the day when everyone's in bed and go, "Mm, was this a good choice or not? And if there's, you know, 20, 25, even 30 grams of sugar in that product, then, you know, that's many teaspoons, five or six teaspoons or more. And if you're giving your kid a number of these sorts of things over the day, that adds up really fast. Yeah. 
I was just hoping you could settle an argument that my wife and I had a few weeks ago around a morning ice cream. Um, this is a, a topic Osher and I debated a few weeks back where my, our daughter saw an ice cream at 10.30 in the morning and was like, sure, you know, why not? You've been sick for the last few days, have an ice cream. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. When did like ice cream get on the breakfast menu? And then she said, hang on. you." So get Charlie's essentially, what he's trying to do here, he's trying to go to the video ref twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've already gone to the yes. video ref once on this, Dr. Rhodes, and the video ref says, oh, no, that's fair play, play on. And Charlie's like, no, 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 no but I'm is, taking this to the this tribunal. This is a specific so- nutritional question because we didn't get conclusive answer, but I feel <laughs> Anthea can answer this. Ice cream for breakfast. This is the question. Uh, yeah, she said ice cream for breakfast, but my wife then came back and said, well, yeah, but you'll buy her a croissant. So I want to know nutritionally <laughs> if you had the choice between ice cream or a croissant, what is doing more damage? <laughs> well, there's there, not all ice cream is created equal and not all croissants either, Charlie. So okay. actually it, it depends is the answer there. But both of them are probably going to have a fair bit of sugar, plenty of some sort of dairy. So croissant has a lot of butter in it, particularly if it's made well. And depending on your type of ice cream, that might have dairy of some sort in it as well. So it depends. There's probably more sugar in ice cream, but it would <laughs> depend on your ice cream product. Can you have this for breakfast? It's a bit like asking me, am I allowed a wine? It's 11.30. Come on, come on. (laughs) Well, again, it's about sometimes food. So if you start ice cream for breakfast, you know, it's going to be a rod for your own back because every day you've got to have breakfast and it might be hard to actually change the story tomorrow. But if you're on holidays, maybe you're in Queensland, maybe it's a one-off, then absolutely Mm. There's always an opportunity to spoil yourself here and there. So it's all about balance and maybe a bit of delicate nuance. Yeah? Yeah. We'll be back and it will be melting down right after this. This is DadPod. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, askdadpod at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram. Um, Yeah, things are about to get cranky. Or... You know, even better, just sit back and let let the kids do it. Charlie had been chatting to me about Iona having some pretty sensational meltdowns, which is normal. We all have meltdowns. I'm 48. I still have meltdowns. And he was talking about a time when Jem and Charlie were at dinner with some friends at a dinner party, and Iona had a bit of a bit of a meltdown, which is fair enough. New kid, new friends, new people, new place, new space. Understandable. So when we we're talking to Yumi Steins about this, we asked if she remembered that happening. Yeah, definitely. And I was at a dinner party not that long ago where it wasn't my baby, but it was uh, a friend's two-year-old. And it was quite formal. Everyone was looking really like they'd put on their nice clothes and they were serving like the expensive food. And the two-year-old was was a bit pissy about the whole situation, just wasn't liking it. And so she dropped her pants and did a wee in front of everyone in like sitting around the dinner table. And this was like a kid who really knows that that's a boundary and she just was like, guess what? <laughs> I'm making an announcement and I'm not using words. Oh, my God. I know. I know. So in Charlie's situation, I think it's like everybody's going to be pretty understanding about it in that situation and you can either take the child into a bedroom and have some quiet time to settle them down or you can record it, which is what one of Martin's phrases. It's like, there's no redeeming this situation. I'm going to pull the ripcord and we're just going to piss off home. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was saying to Osha Yumi that we, we had gotten quite cocky with Iona. She's, we've been traveling with her quite a bit, taking her to lots of different places and we're feeling pretty confident about this, even though 
the whole lead up to the dinner party, our flight had been delayed. We got there a lot later than we thought uh, we were going to get there. And we rocked in thinking, our oh, baby's perfect. <laughs> and we got a, we quickly were brought down to earth. It wasn't just the meltdown at the dinner party. It was then later on when we got back to our accommodation, there was a second meltdown and I was on my own. Right. But I was, the thing that stunned me was uh, Gemma and I were in the room getting her ready, putting a nappy on, put her in her pajamas. Then I said to Gem, go down and have some fun. Just have a chat to whoever or maybe have a drink or a cup of tea or whatever. I'll take care of this. And when in the space of 30 seconds, my baby went from cooing and laughing and being the most gorgeous thing on earth to being possessed by the devil. Like I'd never seen yeah. anything like it. And I pride myself in my very short time as being a father of my settling techniques. But I ran through the entire gamut of techniques and nothing worked <laughs> to the point where I, she won. Like I was just lying on the bed prone with the baby on top of me. It's like, I can't move. She wins. <laughs> and her head spun for 60 degrees. See, that's really amazing when you see them like reach for Satan level. Well, <laughs> I, I made an immediate call for an old priest and a young priest. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know, you know that that's like divine punishment for being cocky, and it happens to every parent that's cocky. Yeah. If you're actually not allowed to think you've nailed it, because the minute you do, something will change. I learnt my lesson. But you know what? My mum always gave really great advice when one of the kids was having a meltdown, which was for starters, she was always unflappable, so that they could be screaming bloody murder, and she'd never crack a sweat. Hmm. And the thing that she said every time was. Oh, you're getting some exercise. That's so good. And, you know, the baby's going to make that noise and do it, and then they're going to get worn out eventually. And if they don't, then, they're, then they've clearly got energy to burn. So she would just look at it as though, okay, that's just a kid like, like I might go for a run. Somebody might do a yoga class or, or swim 20 laps. The baby is doing their version of that. Right. So just let it go. Don't take it like a failing of yours. And, uh, and just think about all the reps they're getting. <laughs> <laughs> we had psychologist and fellow podcast host Justin Colson on the show earlier this year, and we asked him, if a kid in mid-meltdown can at all be reasoned with? My default when it comes to those situations where my daughter Iona is either, you know, behaving in a way that I feel like is, you know, creating some kind of conflict or I can see a conflict happening is I try and talk to her. Now, stuff I've read is like your child is not ready to like understand concepts like logic and all these kind of stuff. So am I just confusing her or making matters worse by trying to explain what is going on in a situation? Should I just be defaulting more to the compassionate feelings aspect rather than the logical explanation of what's going on? So the answer here is yes and no. It makes perfect sense to you that you're doing what you're doing to try and talk her down or move things along. But but as you know, from a developmental point of view, kids don't get anyone's perspective but their own. Like egocentrism central. It's all about them. And, and I think there's another another challenge to bear in mind here, and that is that if emotions are a little bit high, and they're not always, but it sounds like in, in both of the cases that we're talking about here, emotions could be a bit high. High emotions means low intelligence. At any age, they could be a toddler, they could be a teen, hell, they could be 42 years old. If you've got a person that you're interacting with and they're getting pretty emotional, what you see is their intelligence just drops. Now, now technically, they've still got the same amount of intelligence in their head as they had 10 minutes ago, but they don't have the same level of access to it. It's kind of like everyone knows the prefrontal cortex. That's the bit behind your forehead, above your eyes. That's where you do all your thinking, your planning, your strategizing. And when you get really emotional, 
part of the brain on the interior. We call it the limbic system. This part of the brain is where all the emotion is just, it's explosive stuff. You've probably heard of the amygdala. That's that little arm and shape part of the brain. That's where your fear and your anger and that sort of stuff is. And the amygdala is just staggeringly powerful. So when you've got a child who's having a bit of an emotion, they're having a conflict with a sibling or they they want something and you've said no and the emotions get really big, the amygdala pretty much overrides the rest of the brain, amygdala explosiveness. Intelligence drops at that point because the blood's just not going to that part of the brain. I mean, while we're talking about little kids, there's probably a couple of other things that are really important to share. Their ability to access their words. You know, like when the kids are really upset about something and, and those three words that parents always say to them, use your words. Tell me what's going on. They can't do it because, again, there's no blood going to this left temporal lobe but above their left ear. That's where all their speech and language is. So when we say use your words, what happens is the emotions get even bigger inside them and more blood flows away from rather than to that area. And so they can't use their words. They can't regulate their emotions. They can't regulate their behaviours. And then they, they lose the plot. And then as parents, we're like, how many times have I told you? If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. If you do that one more time, so help me, here's what I'm going to do. And the kid's kind of going... I'm a complete failure at life. I don't know anything that's going on. I've got my oil plates on and this is too hard. It's funny because you, you say it, it, they're, they're egocentric, but what you're describing there to me is more about my ego Boom. because I think that is the frustration that arrives is like she's having a meltdown. I don't understand why. As, as I can see it, it's perfectly logical. You've got your bluey cup is right there. It's just as good as your square zebra cup. I don't understand what the difference is. And I'm trying to explain this to you that they're the same cup. Yeah. But what I'm really doing is I'm getting frustrated that I can't fix this situation. Charlie, I love that. So something that I say to parents all the time is we, we say to the kids, we'll say, what do you think? The world revolves around you? And what we're really saying is, well, it doesn't. It revolves around me. And right now you're throwing me off my groove. Like I know what I want here. And like, children are just this massive impediment in our otherwise very well-ordered lives. <laughs> and, and, and we often get our kids in trouble, not for doing the wrong thing, but for being inconvenient. So the answer to your question, Charlie, is when you understand these principles of peoplehood, uh, but particularly raising little kids, this inability to regulate emotion, behaviour, incapacity for speech, and a complete inability when it comes to reading your mind and understanding what you want when they want the blue plate and not the pink plate. The correct answer is, oh, kiddo, you really, really are upset about this, aren't you? And there's this extraordinary thing that happens when you're feeling an emotion and somebody gives you a word for it, you kind of just go, yeah, you get me. And, and it, it takes all the emotion out. And remember, high emotion is low intelligence. Once you take the emotion out, intelligence comes back as emotions go down. And then you can get logical with the kids. Or better yet, you can say, well, what do you think we should do about this? I'm here to help. Some amazing advice there from Justin Colson. His, honestly, his podcast, Happy Families, is very good. You could vote for them. Uh, no, you can vote for us at the Australian Podcast Awards if you like. They've also got a nomination and look, let's be honest, they're very good. Um, if you have any questions for Charlie and I, any stories, anything you'd like to share, you can always find us, askdadpod at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Instagram, dadpodgram. And please take, take the time to vote, subscribe and vote at the Australian Podcast Awards. We'll pop a link in the bio. Bio? Pop a link in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, what's a podcast without a catchphrase? Don't touch that. Don't touch that.